Good morning, church. If you will, you're going to need your Bibles for the following drill. Go with me over to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, and I want to pick up in the middle of a story that uh, really excites the imagination. And then we're going to pray, and then I'm going to have you turn to Isaiah 49. So let's look, first of all, into Luke in chapter 24. This is shortly after the resurrection of Christ. No need to rehearse all those events. They're quite vividly presented in the scriptures, glued to our minds, I hope, with what transpired. And then when you come over into this portion of Luke, here's the imagination part. Can you imagine you are, you've been to the city of Jerusalem, you are aware of, if you were not a witness of the crucifixion itself, though, that you would have seemingly difficult to have missed it, but you, you're a follower of Christ, and yet there just seemed to be something so, so anticlimactic about the days thereafter. Uh, so much that Jesus said and promised and who he was, all that hopefulness. And then Jesus is walking along the road and he comes up alongside two disciples. And I guess they must have been in negative city about this whole thing. But I'm going to just drop in on the middle of something and it's in Luke in 24. And verse uh, 25. And he said to them, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Does that reach out and get a hold of you? Uh, Moses and the prophets. That's Genesis to Malachi. He walked. What a Bible study. <laughs> what, a, what a walk. <laughs> All right. If your mind is focused there, and let's pray. And as we do, we pray for our missionaries, of course. And there are, I noticed that in our calendar, that we're asked to remember Matt and Julie Smith, and we will. And since this is being recorded, I have to be somewhat cryptic in what I say, but if you are following the news, you know that something quite significant is, impacts their circumstances, and uh, we want to pray for them. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Our Lord and God, we come to you with expectant hearts. We don't come because we bring all kinds of abilities and gifts, and certainly we're not, de we're not deserving of anything really from you. It's grace, pure grace. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, who, when we were going our own way, living our pursuit of foolishness, 
You came. You convicted by the Spirit of God. And you opened our eyes so that we could see. You regenerated us and gave us new desires. Suddenly, we wanted to love you, hear your word, tell others, Lord, thank you. What a turnaround you worked in us. May it continue now, oh, wherever we are in our walk with you. May it continue this morning and you, we look into what, your prophet, what the prophet, your servant Isaiah said. I want to pray for our, those who represent us around the world in hard places, very difficult places. Language barriers to overcome, cultural issues, hostile environment, very, very hostile environments. Give them encouragements, clarity of thought, confidence in you, joyful living, open doors for the gospel. Please do that. And Father, um, for those who are unable to be with us, sickness and health issues, you said that we're to bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, for yet none of his benefits who pardons all your iniquities and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, and satisfies your ears with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Lord, renew us. Some of us really want to be renewed with some of that youthfulness, so enable us to now look carefully and understand and love you more as we hear your word. And comfort those who are hearing uh, by other means than their presence here, and grant that to them, and now bless your word in Christ's name, amen. All right, now you will need to go to Isaiah and chapter 49. Isaiah 49, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 12. And in doing so, uh, just a couple of things to take note of here in this passage in Isaiah. One of which would be the fact that this is a continuation of something that's already been happening in the book of Isaiah. It's this. Who is the servant of God? Who is he? Oh, now, we sit here with open Bibles, Genesis to Revelation. We've had exposure to the scriptures, so that's kind of a gimme. That's a gimme. Maybe, hopefully. Who is this servant of which Isaiah, of whom Isaiah speaks? 700 years before Christ. I'll read more about that, but that's the question. That's the question. And what we've seen in Isaiah 42 is that we're beginning to get a picture of who the servant is. He's called out by this, my servant. It's the only direct personal reference in four of these bold portraits of the servant in the latter part of Isaiah. And if you have a you need to have some kind of a theologically or a biblical map-like mind at this point with Isaiah. You know what Isaiah is doing, beginning in the 40th chapter, 
he's going to leap over a coming catastrophe that's coming to Israel because of their disobedience to his uh, covenant requirements and to the law of Moses, and they have just made a mess of it. And for that reason, God's going to have Judah, the southern two tribes, are going to be invaded. The city is just going to be decimated. People are going to be deported, taken off to Babylon, in exile, live in an idolatrous culture. You you like idolatry? I'm going to have you live in it for a generation, 70 years. And it looked like the dream was just evaporating for Israel after all that had been said as to what he was going to do through the covenants that he had given with Abraham, with David. What has come to pass? It's hard to understand. Isaiah leaps over that in this prophetic gift the Spirit of God gives him. And he goes over it and he looks back to it and he looks forward from it you got to get that because these 40 chapters 40 through 66 um, do that for us give us that unique uh, place in the movement of God's plan all right in those 40 in 40 to 40 to 66 there are these four pictures of a servant a servant who's going to deliver us from this awful awful state of affairs, these circumstances, this seeming contradiction to the goodness of God in his promises. And look what idolatry is, look what it's done to us. Who's going to deliver us? We're in, we incapable of doing it ourselves. My servant, my servant. But you got to read the, the clues. They didn't have all the light that we do, but we're going back with them. And what did we find in 42? About to read 49, stay there. But what did we read in 42? He's chosen, his God's servant's chosen, and God's, the Spirit will be upon him. And actually, it's, from what you know in the stories, it goes on into the Gospels. It's, you can't help but see, whoa, the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit came upon him. We know that, they didn't know that but said the Spirit's going to come upon him. Humility, who is this one who's going to come to our rescue and deliver us from our sin? Well, I kind of sneaked that in. I should have, they didn't, they, they weren't, I don't know, they were fully convinced that it was their sin, but it was, that got them into the troubles they were in. And, but this servant, he will not come seeking fame. He's not going to come when he comes as he will the comings of Christ, but in this first coming, uh, he'll be seeking no fame. He won't be coming on a white horse, gallantly with robes flowing, you know, like the conquering general. No, he will be seeking no fame. Why, even he even told his disciples when he and told people when he healed him, said, "Now, don't you go out and tell anybody what what I just did for you." You know what? <laughs> I'd be telling everybody. No. And then you can find this servant. I'm still thinking of 42. I'm looking in the review mirror that he is compassionate. The down and outers, the people who would be considered at the bottom of the ladder socially, 
people just poor, living hand to mouth and trying to survive and to the people who had gone off in wrong directions to the, well, the crooked politicians and prostitutes and people that you just wouldn't think. These are not socially, uh, where, socially not where you would want to go. And he, he come, was compassionate. And he saw people hurting, broken, weary, heavy laden, burdened by religion. Now, okay, we got some clues. Now you're an informed audience, so those really aren't surprising you. But we get some more clues. We're going to get six clues in verses 1 to 12 of Isaiah 49. So the picture is going to come more sharply into focus. Remember the old camera days? When you had to focus, you couldn't just pick up your phone and take a picture. You had to focus. All right, the picture is going to get more sharply in focus. Now pay attention. Watch it. I'm going to read Isaiah 49. This is from the ESV. Here we are. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, far from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the womb of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet, surely my right is with the Lord, and my reward, my recompense, with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear, and they shall feed along the ways. On all the bare heights shall be their pasture, and they shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. I, and I will make 
All my mountains are road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west and from the land of Sain. Ah, now I hope that passage, if it doesn't do anything else, will make you at least look, what clues are here? What is being said about this servant that God's going to send? One point, you think, I got it. And then the next, I'm not sure I've got it. Help me out. Let's hear what we do. Here's what we must do. Now, we're going to see these six clues, but you've got to get this lead in. Now, you've got some notes there in front of you. If you have the little bulletin, it'll give you some, a little roadmap that I'm following. And you will notice this immediately that the servant of God must vindicate the name of God in all the nations. That's what's come through already from 42. He was chosen by God to fulfill a great mission. He will be given the power of the Spirit. The servant will come to take the name of the true God to all the nations of the world. He says here in the opening word, listen to me, islands, coastlands, that's just another way of saying Look at the planet. Get your atlas out. Look at the world. Look at the globe. Ephraim everywhere. And he will come to deliver them from their idolatry. God is determined to defend his honor. So here is God's servant. He is the only hope of the nations. Not the United Nations. Well, they had no such thing at that time. Boy, what a chaos that would have been. It's bad enough today. It's worse. But for all these nations who drove around with bumpers, with, you know, their license plates would have read, we trust in Ashur. We trust in Marduk. We trust in Molech. All of these false gods. That's the way that, that it was everywhere. Who is this servant who's going to come and deliver us? We know he's going to be faithful. We know he's going to be patient. We know he's going to be courageous. He's going to come in a quiet manner. He's going to be gentle. Okay. Now, that's not exactly flexing a lot of <laughs> uh, warfare-type muscle, is it? Takeover muscle. Hmm. <laughs> you know, we want, we say, we want a fighter. That's what we want. Like I hear that present bouncing around today. That's what we want. We want a fighter. Hmm. But the servant's going to take Come and take the knowledge of the true God to all the nations of the world. How are you going to pull that off with what you're describing? But who is this servant? How will he set men free from the tyranny of idolatry? You just don't start handing out a get out of jail free card with no strings attached. How does he defeat the idols? How do you do that? Because they're rooted deep down in a depraved human heart. And Satan is the god of this world with all of his minions of demonic powers. How in the world can you penetrate this darkness and bring this off? So his mission statement is given. We're given some hints. It's going to be to bring justice to the nations. What a startling statement for Isaiah to make. Justice? Oh, Oh, we think we got a handle on justice. We got people in the streets and everywhere. We want justice. Oh, do you really? By what definition? Do you know what justice is? Do you thought, have you thought, what is God's justice? In the prophet's day, there was only a small remnant 
of those who worship the true God. Can't imagine, what, a, just a handful in a spiritually dark world. And the nations were idol-worshiping nations. And the, no nation existed outside of Israel with an in God we trust on their bumper. None. It certainly wasn't on their currency. Only little Israel, that sliver, a little sliver of land, it's not much over there on the eastern shore, the Mediterranean, just that little land bridge. Israel was just a tiny outpost. How are you going to do this? We are your people. And you've told us, you're going to do great things through us. Look where we're situated. And look how we've just fumbled the ball. And here we are. The empire of idols stretched over Europe and Asia, Africa. And so the whole world is, will, get that in, will listen to the servant. One day the Lord's servant will defeat the darkness. Now you can see the effect these servant songs ought to be having and would have had. On the one hand, yes, bring it on, bring it on. But wait a minute, it's not out there. It's not that it's, it's just some kind of, of, of a political liberation. No, there's something that's got to go on deep down inside. It's got to take place within the heart. The servant of God, though, here it is. You can see it in verse 12 of chapter 49. The servant of the Lord will restore Israel and save the nations. What a magnificent goal. How will this be done? Well, now then, let's get the clues. You want the first one? It's there. Look in your Bible. Look in those notes. Let's track it. He says, listen to me. The servant of God will be born of a woman. There are a couple of things that immediately jump out of that. Now, first verse. One, he will be appointed by God. So it's not of his own self uh, uh, motivation self-generated he's going to be appointed by God in the eternal counsels of the Godhead God the Father God the Son willing to come to earth and battle the darkness of Satan's kingdom Whew. my those are thoughts thoughts well beyond our little brains but we have them by faith here we have them we can trust what we're reading and so he has set aside this servant is set aside for a special task here it is God, oh, you know why I read Luke 24? This is what, I, I don't know all that Jesus would, did he walk them through the servant songs? What do you think? <laughs> he, had to, he had to have gone through that neighborhood to make them give, a, to give them a better understanding of what had happened on that cross and then the resurrection. So we know this. He's appointed by God and we know that he's truly human. He is. Now, you notice that he's given a name. Luke 1 and 31, we get, we get some reference on this in the New Testament. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. So he's going to have a human body. He's not going to come as some nebulous, ethereal spirit being. Now you see him, now you don't. He's going to have a human body. He's going to have skin. He's going to have blood. He's going to have eyes. He's going to have a mind. He's going to have a soul. He's going to have emotions. 
He learned to eat. He learned to talk. Potty trained. Put that in your Christology. Read, write, be obedient to his parents. Just check it out in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. And he went through all the, the ordinary learning process. And, and it's implied here that he couldn't remember a time when he was not communing with the father. Look at a little baby. You say, Do babies think? And parents say, oh, it looks like you know, all that kind of thing. But are they thinking? I don't know about you, but I don't have any memories uh, in my first year. Uh, do you? Can you go back that far? It's not the real issue here. But the point is, Jesus had something going with the Father because in the, he was conceived by the Spirit in the womb of Mary. And something was happening to that little human being in, in Mary's womb. I, I can't push that frontier any further than to what's implied is that there was some knowledge, some awareness. And so here he was. Even as a baby, he was listening to the voice of the Father. How? 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 But there was something happening there. Something happening. You know, if I could pause and just remind us of something. We look at this as just, as just gigantic and lofty and God's servant and look at the life of Christ. And yet at the same time, you noticed in the epistles, say especially, and Jesus spoke this way as well, especially in the upper room discourse in John, that those who are his, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, putting their trust in him alone, we are his servants. We're servants. Well, we could really... That really is expandable. <laughs> He's got it. He knows me. What was the song we were, uh, Justin was asking, confirming this. this it was, our names were written on his palm, his hand. He knew, he knew you before you knew him. And he, he gifted you. He, Psalm 30, 139, you know this, don't you, that he wove you. But, I pardon the personal reference, but I'm just still overwhelmed by the picture I saw of my great-grandchild in my, my granddaughter-in-law's womb. I get the pictures. It's almost like you could start to feel like a conversation. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> how is it in there? <laughs> Any thoughts? And here was Jesus who has called us to be his servants, and he wove us and put us together as his servants to live our life. Doesn't that immediately speak to us? about? Do you want meaning in life? Do you, you want to know, why am I here? What's it all about? Start there. I'm his servant. And he had his mindset on me billions and billions of years ago to obey him, to love him. So, all right, more on that as we proceed. Now, clue number two. Clue number two. The servant of God will be unexcelled in his ability to teach the word of God. All right, look, look at it. It says, he has made my, that's the servant, mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He has concealed me. What's he saying here? He's saying that the servant is going to carry out a prophetic task. What did prophets do? They talked. Big talk. They spoke in bold, clear language. 
not as clear as maybe even they fully understand. First Peter tells us that there will be suffering and there will be glory. Okay, how do we get those two in one? But you get the point. The prophet spoke. And his weapon will be his mouth. Not by military force. He won't be coming as a great orator who just spellbound people with all of its eloquence. No. Oh, he will speak well. He will be speaking truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was with God. And he created all things, all, and all things came into being by him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That's the one of whom he speaks. And the nations are called to listen to his message. He's going to speak effectively. He will be a sword in the Lord's hand. He was sharpened and chosen to fight against the world's idolatry. And how did he do it? With the spoken word of God. That's the weapon. So his teaching is going to be, it was, will be, Get my tenses right here. We're, we're still looking. We're in Isaiah's day, as it were, looking down to the time that his teaching will be inexhaustible. Oh, my, just the Gospels. And we only have a little bit. John uses that statement, makes that statement at the end of his Gospel. Everything that Jesus said, and you know, he did. It could, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. Well, a little hyperbole there? Or what, what, what is this? But we have all we need to know. So Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse, all that Jesus spoke, all that he did. And his words pierced the conscience, just like an arrow. It's like, shoo! Remember, remember Nicodemus? At the PhD in the law, a great teacher in Israel. Before Jesus, he was like a kindergartner when he came. And Jesus even had to rebuke him when he said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, and we, we kind of wince at this, if I got to go back in my mother's womb, be born again? No, if you don't know this, you must be born again by the Spirit and the Word. You must be born again. And he must have really, Jesus must have really dazzled Nathaniel. Hey, Daniel, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. You, you what? You saw me? How'd that happen? And then the Jewish leaders, they were completely befuddled by him. And Jesus said to them, I, I know you do not have the love of God in yourselves. How could you make such a summary judgment? Can you read hearts? Yes. He did. He did. He could. X-ray vision. Spiritual X-ray vision. I think that's probably just an aside. There, there is something, you know, inside of us as God created us that when we, something as simple and as entertaining as a Superman movie, that it just kind of gets us all pumped up. And Superman, he's out with Lois Lane and some, some bad guys come along and they shoot him and he keeps his glasses on. He looks like a bit of a wimpish person. And then what does he do? You know, he can see through things, see through walls, reached down, got the bullet in his hand, <laughs> no problem. I think that there is in these redemptive stories that Hollywood puts out, the kind of a redemption line, is that there is, it wired, we're hardwired, we would love to have a redeemer who could just, he could see through things, do things, be powerful, and his words would just 
just be laser-like. That's the way it would be. Okay, and then I would say that he would speak with authority. He taught them as one having authority. Matthew 7 and 28, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. Amazed. Oh, we get little experiences of that with teachers along the way. I can remember being at a Bible conference years ago with some buddies, uh, other preachers and Bible teachers when we were young, and we heard so-and-so is going to be speaking in the next meeting. Who? Oh! And we knew what he was going to speak on. Really? So we got in our motel room, and we gathered around. It was a psalm. And we all started, what do you think he'll say about this? What do you think he'll say about that? I mean, he was a revered teacher. He really, I mean, he just, he, he knew the languages and just a, a muscular theologian in the best sense of the word. And we were just, well, you know what? He would just be a piker in the school of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus spoke these words. We read it. And, he, and we said, well, I, I think maybe I could have said that. Oh, no, you could. We could and he just was able to have the right word to the right time to the right people. And it was so convicting, so convicting, people were amazed. Folks, never underestimate the power of the word of God. And we have it here. We have it. Oh, and Satan's always trying to tease us away from it. Get us into ourselves. Oh, that you've got all this knowledge locked up inside of you. If you go to the right therapist, they'll pull it out. And you can find the real you and get in touch with your true self. And you listen to that and you can just, yes, yes, that's me, that's me. <laughs> but it's only the word of God that can come in and really lay bare the soul. Word of God's living, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the dividing son of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. And is what? A crit of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let your memory, just put it on pause. I don't know how it was you, but before, even before you were converted or maybe in the early days, when the lights weren't on and then they did come on, regeneration, the new desires, the new me, the new nature. And so God's word, what it did, it just, it did. I, I was convicted. Not, not everybody convicted comes to Christ. But I was convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. I knew, I've got, I've got to do something about this. Why? God's word was working on me. Worked on you. Worked on us. Clue number three. Verse two, still there. The servant of God will be prepared for his work and protected in his work. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. Let me run on down. And he has made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. What is this arrow quiver thing that he's talking about here? Well, he's going to fulfill his mission. Because when he, he takes that arrow out of the quiver, you know, and these arrows were rubbed down with oil. And, I mean, these were, these were lethal weapons. These weren't the little, little piddly things, you know, we up to. We, I had a next door neighbor sometime who was a professional archer and he had these these uh, uh, targets set up over there and I could hear the you know, air go and he would be out in the street and his target would be way back behind his house he would be right in it right in it oh it's some serious business and the arrows of his life he's describing here is that he is going to fulfill his mission he did not miss the mark he was equipped for the task. 
Much better than Errol Flynn did in Robin Hood. Oh, he amazed the crowds and he amazed and he pleased God as he stayed on task. So as the ministry of the servant was effective, it says he was hidden. I'm going to pick up on this a little later on, but he was hidden. Has that not been noteworthy about the life of Christ? For those 30 years, he lived in this dusty little out-of-the-place city. I've been, Beth and I have been to Nazareth. That's a little bit better now, but you can see it's really off the main track. Not much. And Jesus lived his life in obscurity there, working along with his father as a carpenter, contractor, lifting bricks, rocks, cutting wood, building houses, all this kind of thing. Obscure. Who would have known it? And <clears throat> then... Out of sight, but it's, oh, it reminds us of this, that his effectiveness is not based on our experience in sin, but our experience with God. That's where he was hidden, and he was, he was experiencing God. Evangelicals through the years can get just a little carried away. They hear that some notorious sinner is going to give their testimony. Ooh, goody, I couldn't watch all, hear about all that stuff and get away with it. Now I can hear all the gory details. And isn't God's grace magnificent? I'm thinking of a person who had time to go there who just traveled around and just had the crowds eating out of the palm of his hand because of the stories he told once working with syndicated crime and all the tight places getting in. I was a teenager at the time. and Everybody just, whew, wow, wow, wow. I don't have a testimony like that. God just saved me, that's all. <laughs> I mean, what, how much mischief can you get into at the age of 14? Uh, some. But... Oh, don't, don't be misled by this. It's experiencing with experiencing God. And that's what Jesus did in those, in those hidden years. All right, more on that as we proceed. So he, he was kept for the task. He moved forward. Number four clue. You still with me? Fourth clue. The servant of God will manifest the glory of God. Look in verse three. And he says, and he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. Now this brings us up to a bit of a tripwire because we say, well, what is this? Because our Jewish friends, and I read their material, I know what the Jewish study Bible says. It's not exactly an evangelical study Bible. And so you've got these uh, other options. Well, they, 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 one way or another, they say, well, the, the servant was Israel. Well, doesn't it say it was Israel? I can I'll offer this to you. What he does, he could not, these ser servant songs are not exhausted in applying them to Israel alone. No, it has to be a person. You'll see this. Because you can look on down if you want to look ahead in verse 5. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him. Uh, okay, that's a person. That's a person. So what do we do with this? He will fulfill what Israel should have done. That's the point. The servant, Israel, he is going to do this marvelous work for the nations. But he will embody what Israel should have been in complete obedience. He didn't fail where Israel failed. Oh, I could take a little side turn, put it in park, and we could do a little bit of work, which we love to do in hermeneutics and in theology class and discuss the relationship between Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1 
And in Matthew 2, verse 15, you remember this connection. I'll help you. I'll dust off the cobwebs for you. And in Hosea, he uh, refers to this one who will come, who is uh, going to come out of Israel, excuse me, going to come up out of Egypt. And then we find over in Matthew's gospel in chapter 2 that that is seen as a fulfilled in Jesus Christ who came up out of Egypt after his parents took him there, after Herod had put a price on his head. And you say, well, wait a minute. Well, what is this? Is that Israel or is that Jesus? Well, here it is. Jesus is the expression of God's mind for Israel. Israel, this is what I wanted you to be. This is how I wanted you to function. This was your task. You failed. But I'm going to bring one who will not fail and who will bring your calling into its full flower in himself. So, He will display the beauty of God. He is that branch who is beautiful. So the servant functions as Israel. And Israel's purpose was to have been a witness nation. Was it not? Remember that in Exodus in chapter uh, 3? That's what I want you to be. And so Jesus Christ became that witness to the nation. So Jesus took on the destiny of Israel. He must do the work of Israel. He did it. He kept the whole law perfectly. Did any Jew ever do that up to that time? No way. No. But Jesus did. And the servant, he was told he would display God's glory to the world, and he did it magnificently, perfectly. So there, there is who he is. Let's go to the fifth one. Uh, This one. Are you ready for this one? This clue? Would you have guessed this one? Wake up. So if your mind wandered, don't let it, call it back in and pay attention. Look at this one. The servant of God will experience struggle with apparent failure. Hmm. What? Here is the servant. A clue. It says he will experience a sense of failure due to Israel's poor response. What did Jesus have to cope with? What did he have to deal with? Well, it would seem that his work came to, to be a failure. Whom I've chosen, prepared, and revealed at the right moment. Then what? Defeat? How so? What did his family think of him? They thought he was a little bit crazy. His own parents and brothers. They had pushed out to the margins. And then, of course, the crowds, the religious leaders, those who were steeped in the Old Testament and knew it backward and forward. No, no way this is, no, rejected him. You can see this progression in Matthew's chapter. Interestingly, in Matthew 12, where you have that place where the unpardonable sin is is recorded and the 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 precursor to that, or the prologue to that, is a quotation here from, uh, from Isaiah. So this was all in the plan of God. So what is happening here? I want to do something before I die. I'm going to, we're going to put it, we're going to take a little, uh, we can do it. I'm going to give you a little, a little side study on this, and we need to look at it carefully. But as we do, I want you, if you have your Bible open, you see the passage, it says, and he said to me, I'm not talking to you, hush up. 
My watch is talking to me. Does you ever, does you ever do that? Um, but I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Do you think, did Jesus need to go to a therapist here? What's up? Huh? I thought he was Superman. Well, what we think of as that. And then, oh, that little word, that little word. Why? It's at least in the English translation. I can see the Hebrew word just it functions here. It's simple. Yet, 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 surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. All right. Okay, put that right in the middle of your plate for right now. Let's think about this. What's going on here? First of all, let's get the bottom line, I think, what's being, I want to be sure this is communicated. It tells us something about discouragement. Anybody ever been discouraged? Okay, we got our stories. I'm not asking to raise hands, but no. We get discouraged. And we kind of wonder, is it going to be, is it worth it? I've this, I've been faithful, I've obeyed the Lord, and look, it's just, and you see how the life of the Lord progressed, even down to the very end, his disciples, his disciples abandoned him, and he, one of them betrayed him, and then Peter, his really his close one, and he, he denies him, and then he hangs on the cross, and he's rejected, and vilified, He's just dying the death of a come. Does that look like success to you? Is that a success story? Well, I'm just saying that Jesus along the way, he struggled with some things. The crowds, you know, they, they, at first they, just, they came to him in waves. Oh, he could, he could pack out a stadium if they'd been in stadiums. Pack them out. And the healings that he was doing, they followed him around. Oh, he fed us. And they walked all around the lake and went up to the next spot. We got food down there. We can get food up here. Everybody was... Wow, this is our man. But then he began to speak some very, in very sharp, defining tones about uh, what it means to believe and follow Christ and suffer and so forth and, and not exercise the might and power that he had to throw the Romans, uh, you know, do a little jujitsu and just take on a whole, take on a whole cavalry to, to take on a legion of Germans, of Romans, uh, uh, and what would he do? And could just wipe them out with a word. <laughs> Didn't do it. So the crowds began to peel off. Not who he said he was. Uh, another, another bogus Messiah. How did Jesus handle it? Well, he struggled with it. Okay, not too much on that point, but I want to get to this. <clears throat> we must not measure our success on the, response, on the response of others. That's what gets us in trouble, doesn't it? we start trying to step in and make that a measuring stick. Jesus was burdened over the lack of response, but what was he? He was a trusting servant. Now, I got a little sidebar here. I want to try to do it very briefly. I want to speak to this matter of the discouragement of the servant. It demands a little bit more attention. First of all, Jesus had a human soul. I'm going to make about three or four statements. Jesus had a human soul. And human emotions. 
He said his soul was troubled. He was troubled in his spirit. You can track this through the Gospels and even into Hebrews 5. And that he went through with his trials with loud cries and tears. If you could have been with him, you could have heard him crying. <laughs> he was grieving. People were rejecting him. He had come to restore Israel and he had healed thousands and he gave out the wonderful words of life and people said, who's next? You've been in situations and I have too where you, to the best of our ability, you, know, you serve, you give yourself, you, you, you go in and do your responsibilities day after day, week after week and then what do you get for it? It seems like you get rewarded by people who could care less, walk away from you, or say something disparaging about you. Or as parents, maybe your children, your children come along, and they don't, they're not impressed. I mean, not impressed with the right things they, they should be, but they, they discourage you. I mean, just being a parent opens you up for that. Or your spouse, maybe your spouse discourages you. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? Okay, hold on. Jesus was, had a human soul and human emotions. Secondly, Jesus struggled with discouragement in his earthly ministry. Frustration and feelings of futility. The crowd stand out. He faced rejection, unbelief, prejudice, misunderstanding. And he cried out, how long? Luke 9 and 41. How long? He was grieved by his disciples' failure to understand. He foresaw the falling away of his core group, Mark 14, 27. And when he died, what did he accomplish? To all appearances, it was nothing. Three. However, the servant, in the servant's struggle with discouragement, he did not sin. That's important to get. He did not sin. Jesus knew who he was and what he had come to do. He trusted God. This is the yet. This is the yet. Sure, you're going to have thoughts. You're going to have emotions in situations where you're going to be, you're going to entertain the thought, is this futile? If I, Lord, I've prayed. I sought to obey you. And what I do. And so you think, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That thought, okay, as that thought walks across your mind, there it comes, there it comes, and it knocks on the door. <laughs> Hello, who's that there? You're a failure. No, I'm not. Yet, well, I trust him. That's what you do. That's what you do. That's what you do with the thought. It isn't the thought that's the sin, it's the way you respond to the thought. That's where we, we've got to get it right. Say, Lord, it's, it's for the Lord to decide whether I'm a failure or not. That's not my duty. I don't know enough. I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> and it's in the Lord's hands. I'm not, it's, I trust you. That's what he's saying here. And so we say it this way then. How do we deal with discouragement? There's got to be an immediate turn in our thinking to the settling truth about God. Yes, it's a, I got to make that decision. If you don't, and you try to displace God with your own maneuvering and your own rationalizations, you'll go further down into the pit. You'll be like that guy over, was it in Turkey? Down 3,000 feet below the earth. Woo, why would you want to go that far? And you'll, you'll get down into some really dark, a dark hole if you do that to you to yourself. Or you go to a therapist and they'll put you on some medication. 
that at least physiologically you feel, hey, I'm cool. Everything's all right. Really? <laughs> so don't stand away from God. Stand with him. My God. My God. Revisit the truth that the work to which God has called us will never be a failure. Pay him. Do what he says and leave the results. It's in your hands, Lord. I'm doing what I think it pleases you. And what I don't know, what I've got wrong, it's in your hands. You love me. I trust you. Yet, yet, yet. I, we ought to have a little tag just where it says yet <laughs> to remind us of this fact. All right. With that, we come to this sixth. We come to the sixth uh, clue here. It's an important one. The servant of God, verses 5 and 6, the servant of God will restore Israel to God and bring light to the Gentiles. I love this one. I do all of them, but this clue just goes on. And it actually goes on down, down through verse uh, 12. It, go, it goes that far down. And, and what he does in this conclusion he said, God's work done in God's way will never be a failure. And the servant, he's going to fulfill the call of Abraham. He did. And in verse 7, I get this. Look, I'm going to have to do a flyover. We just don't have time to milk these verses. But look at them. Gentile, there will be Gentile submission to the servant. Verse 7. See that? In verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and the Holy One, the despised one, the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings shall, will, shall see and rise and princes shall bow down. What's he given there? See that? All right, this is the one who was despised. We're just going to walk all over you, but he will be exalted. So here is the success. This is really a, a trail. All, these, uh, these servant songs are like this. You get the statement and then you get kind of like a guarantee. You know what guarantees, how they function. Guarantee money back. What the guarantee is comes from God. And he says, I can guarantee you that this is going to, he was, my servant will be successful. If you've got any doubt, and if that, what I said about him having to deal with thoughts of discouragement, and if you think that that's going to cancel him out, God doesn't have that kind of cancel culture within the triunity and the Godhead. No. It's this. And a covenant for Israel, for a restored Israel. Verse 8. See that? And he says, thus says the Lord, in a favorable time I have answered you. And there's this covenant, it's the new covenant that he's going to bring about with the shedding of his blood and his atoning work on the cross. And that will be a restoration of Israel. And then, thirdly, look in verses 9 to 12, if you will just scan these. Verses 9 to 12, he says things like, oh, this is so extraordinary. Saying to those who are bound, go forth. To those who are in darkness. Oh, I knew I'd get to this point and I would go crazy because I looked at this and I have friends who just don't, don't think they do it right. You with me? Look at the text. He says, to those, look, you see, those go forth. Of whom is he speaking? Them, back in verse 8, he's talking about Jacob. He's talking about Israel, 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 Israel. This is what's going to come about. They, verse 9, their pasture, verse 9. They, verse 10. They. And then, okay. 
I have some, I have friends and I read their materials and they've got some commentaries and then they want to tell me this is not really speaking of a restoration of Israel. This is a description in some poetic language of the heart that turns back to God. And it can, it's not, Israel is sort of out of the picture at this point and it's just more of a, uh, an experience that you have with God and it just spiritualizes the way the fact that he's talking to Israel. He's talking to Israel. But you, you want to take it and massage the words and make them say it. All right, I can only say this. The servant of God, we conclude. I parked that. The servant of God was prepared by daily obedience. We have that clue. And through his childhood, adult, all through life. Ah, what a story. What a story. Obedience every step of the way. And for 30 years, he was hidden being prepared, concealed. The world didn't see the servant during those 30 years. That's part of the story. And that he, pre he prepared, but then rejected. It, he was, his beaten body dragged through the streets of Jerusalem. He was despised and abhorred. Oh, I thought he's gonna come and deliver us. Oh, it's not the way the movie's supposed to end. Uh-uh. He faced the temptation to despair. What of God's promises? He knew triumph was ahead. He knew there was a reward. You saw that word? My reward, my reward. He saw beyond the cross. He saw beyond the cross. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Ah, ah. And then this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't understand. He went through he went through some real struggle there at that point. But he trusted. You can have thoughts about God that are not the right thoughts, but you don't have to buy into them. Does that ever happen? Sure. That's the nature of struggle. We don't think perfectly all the time. Always. Oh, I don't have anything but good theology. This runs through my mind all the time. Really? <laughs> but what I do is that I go quickly to the God that I know and I trust and I love and I know he loves me, he's provided for me. And so Jesus Christ is going to have the last word in history, sort it all out. And it's going to come to that glorious finish if I trusted him. Now, we have just put our toes in the water with the servant. You got the clues? We've got two. Said, well, we've done, we're there. No, not quite. We've got a third song in 50 and then whew, we'll get up on the top and see the final one. Oh, chapter 53 that's where we're headed do you know the lord jesus christ in a personal way see your savior do you see yourself do we see ourselves as his servants is that is that forming the way you make your decisions relate to others you know sort your values out hand me money Conduct your marriage. Deal with your habits. Love your children. Deal with disappointments. Deal with pain, suffering. Is it, Lord, I'm your servant. I want to be a pleasing servant. Let's pray about it. Lord, thank you. Thank you for these comforting words, these glorious words. The life, the success of your servant, Jesus Christ. There's one here today who's never put his or her trust in you for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Oh, may the sword of your word go deep into their heart to lay bare their 
their, uh, the futility, the futility of trying to come into your presence without coming through the righteousness that's in Christ in him alone, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. We sing together. Grace unmeasured.